It's Thursday, June 3rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Some concerning news for those with immunocompromised systems has emerged. A recent study has found that vaccines are proving less effective than for people with normal immune systems. 46% of transplant patients had no antibodies after two vaccine shots, and the other 54% who did develop antibodies were at lower levels. Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for why immunocompromised people might be looking at booster shots to help. Next, the summer travel season is here, and it's all about the beach destinations. In previous years, the top leisure vacations were all big international cities. Now, everyone is looking toward places like Miami, Cancun, Honolulu, and anywhere they can go all-inclusive. The travel industry still has a long way to go to recover, but planning ahead right now is more important than ever. Ronnie Mola, senior data reporter at Vox's Recode, joins us for how 2021 is the summer of resorts. Finally, retro gaming is having a moment right now, and the must-have item to make it all complete is an old tube TV. Enthusiasts are looking at online marketplaces and even yard sales for CRT TVs that will match up perfectly with old pixelated game displays. It provides that nostalgia feel, hides flaws, and smooths out the experience. Aiden Moher, contributor to Wired, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Apparently, there's sort of a theoretical risk that it could cause organ rejection. I mean, I, I think that, you know, theoretical means relatively remote, but they want to do these studies just to make sure that it's safe for people, you know, and that it's effective. Is it worth it for them to actually get this extra shot or not? Joining us now is Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Good to be here. I want to talk about the COVID-19 vaccine and people that have an immunocompromised system. So this would be people that are transplant patients, uh, some people with certain cancers, things like that. They take these drugs to suppress their immune system. A new study found out that these people are not getting the normal amount of antibodies in their system after receiving their two doses, you know, if they were getting Moderna or Pfizer vaccines. So in some cases now they're exploring a booster shot for them. Some are trying to get monoclonal antibodies treatments to boost their systems in protection against COVID-19. So Joe, what are we seeing in these studies? What are they showing about these people? People with compromised immune systems always have a little bit less of an uptake of uh, vaccines, from what I understand, but it was really stark with the COVID vaccines. The study that came out in April showed that only about 46% of people who had hadn't gotten two shots had actually gotten any antibodies, and the people who actually did get antibodies got less than a person with a normal immune system. So there were people out there who had gotten two shots and basically thought they were covered, you know, like everybody else. But it turns out many of them aren't. And you needed to do additional testing to figure out how much immunity you have and, you know, whether you got any at all. There's about 10 million people in the U.S. that take immunosuppressants for various conditions. So that's a lot of people that might know somebody in their lives that have an immunocompromised system. The CDC has basically said that they should operate as if they weren't even vaccinated. That's how much they don't really know about this. And that's the big question is, is what to do. Uh, you know, they're trying to explore options right now for how to proceed, how to get them those antibodies. 
some people consulting with their doctors are going out and getting another booster shot, but the uh, CDC says that really needs more study. I mean, they, they just don't want to send people off when they're not 100% sure what the reaction is going to be. Apparently, there's sort of a theoretical risk that it could cause organ rejection. I mean, I, I think that, you know, theoretical means relatively remote, but they want to do these studies just to make sure that it's safe for people, you know, and that it's effective. Is it worth it for them to actually get this extra shot or not? Right. And obviously, the way everything works out, that organ is more important than the vaccine would be. You know, you need to take care of that to uh, help complete the body system more than you would need these vaccines. So that's kind of the tough spot to be in. You did speak to a few people who are in this situation. And, you know, one of them specifically, he was a man who went out and got another shot and his antibody levels did shoot up. Yeah, apparently, you know, anecdotally, this is this is working for some people, but, you know, they, they really haven't tested it enough to be sure that it's going to kind of work for everybody. But, you know, they have even talked about, well, if the second, if the third one doesn't work, you could even possibly get a fourth one if it's proving that this is safe. There's also a possible benefit from going, say you had Pfizer or Moderna, you know, going what they call cross-platform and having your next shot be a Johnson & Johnson, like that might for a reaction that's different than what the other one did. And so, you know, there's a lot of options out there, but sort of the CDC in its guidance is being, you know, very cautious. And the thought, obviously, is it that it is that cocktail of drugs that is doing something to the vaccine that's, that's causing the antibodies not to form? Yeah, people, you know, who have had transplants, that's about 500,000 of the 10 million who take immunosuppressants. They take like more than one. And I guess some of them are, some of the immunosuppressants are stronger or make the vaccine even less effective than other ones. Like, so there are some people with lupus who might be taking one of the drugs the transplant patients take, and their chance of getting antibodies is just as low or even lower than people with the transplants. Any, anyways, it's, it's kind of a complicated picture, yeah. but the transplant people take often more than one. And so they're sort of the biggest group that's sort of at risk for this all in, in one lump. So. And so has there been a recommendation for people who take immunosuppressants to go and get tested for antibodies to see what their levels are like right now? I don't think the testing is very widely available at the moment, but, you know, they do recommend that people talk to their doctors and their doctors are certainly going to tell them to, you know, wear extra PPE, don't, you know, don't act like you could take that mask off yet because you might not be protected. So it's not widely recommended yet that everybody gets tested, but it kind of seems like that's the path where we're heading. Joe Barrett, senior Midwest correspondent at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Take care. You didn't spend any money last year on vacations or on anything. And then also it was just a hell of a year. You know, people want to feel like, okay, I'm getting a break. Finally, I'm going to have this. And when I'm so when I go on vacation, let's make it really luxurious if possible. Joining us now is Ronnie Mola, senior data reporter at Vox's Recode. Thanks for joining us, Ronnie. Thanks for having me. I love to talk about these types of stories for a couple of different reasons. One, we're getting back to normal. People are starting to venture out into the world again, but then also purely for planning purposes. You know, we're going to be talking about top travel destinations. And basically, if you're planning a vacation, you want to do it early. You want to do it right. You might want to go to these places we're going to talk about. You might want to think of some alternative places. You know, 2020, because we were 
so confined at home and the only way we can get out is in our own little pods and everything. The big summer travel things were all about road trips. For 2021, it's going to be a summer of resorts, leisure, luxury trips, beach resorts, things like that. Ronnie, tell us what we're expecting for this summer. This summer, you're going to see a lot of North American beach resorts. Part of that has to do with a lot of the travel restrictions. You don't know what you're getting into if you go to another country. Traditionally, in the summer, people go to big international cities, New York, San Francisco, Tokyo, Sydney. You're not seeing any of that. This year, you're going to see a lot of Florida, also Hawaii, beaches in Mexico. So basically, close by beach places. And that's because they offer this sort of resort package where, you know, you get a flight, you get in, you might get picked up by the resort, and then you spend your whole vacation, for the most part, on the resort, which is a more conservative way to travel, especially if, you know, in the wake of a pandemic, when you're worried about being exposed to too many people or too many different situations, this, I think, feels a little safer to people. Yeah, those all-inclusive packages. And and one of the uh, travel experts that you were talking to about this put it a, a pretty accurate way, I think. We went from these social bubbles and pods very carefully curated groups of friends and family that you would be doing stuff with to now bubble travel, which is kind of this all-inclusive thing. We're getting out, we're going to other locations, but it still has that feeling of safetyness because you're staying on that resort. You're limiting yourself in that sense. Yeah, it's, it's like people are trying to limit their exposure. You know, they're yeah. not trying to sort of wing it and say, oh, well, we'll catch a bus from here or maybe we'll stop in at this city. They're trying to be like, OK, you know, we didn't go anywhere at all last year. We need a break. We need a vacation. We might have saved up a little extra money. What's the way we could do this in a way that seems the safest? And a lot of these resorts are also requiring either COVID tests beforehand or on site. So it gives people at least the feeling of safety. Yeah, and you mentioned it right there. A lot of people are splurging this time around because they were able to save some money last year, in large part due to not going out on these vacations that people would normally do, Uh, you know, stimulus checks, all that stuff, whatever it is, people have saved up more money. So they're looking for these more luxury experiences also. Yeah, I think it's a two-part thing, right? Yeah, you didn't spend any money last year on vacations or on anything. And then also it was just in a hell of a year, you know, people want to feel like, okay, I'm getting a break. Finally, I'm going to get, have this. And when I'm, so when I go on vacation, let's make it really luxurious if possible. Another interesting thing about all of this is we just came out of Memorial Day weekend. A lot of people were traveling, you know, we're doing these stories looking towards summer and what to expect and all that. But the travel industry does have a long way to recover. One of the big things when you look at is cruises and cruise lines really took a huge hit during the pandemic in part because of those closures and, you know, there was a lot of outbreaks on those things before that, you know, we always heard stories about outbreaks of norovirus even. So, you know, Mm -hmm. that was always kind of a thing, but cruise lines really do have a very loyal customer base, but still it's going to take a while for that travel industry to come back. What you're seeing in the cruise industry is a lot what you're like what you're seeing in the travel industry. And that's that it's recovering more quickly in North America. It's recovering more quickly in the United States where you have higher vaccination rates. All of travel is sort of related. You know, people are going to go travel once they're vaccinated for the most part. So you're seeing a lot of common U.S. destinations recovering more quickly. So the Caribbean is doing much better in cruises than something more internationally. And that's also People traveling again for the first time, you know, in more than a year, it just makes sense that they'd want to go somewhere like a little closer to home that feels a little more safe than, you know, going on a big international uh, trip. The other part of it, too, is, uh, you know, places like VRBO, Airbnb, 
are also going to be impacted with a lot of people wanting to get out there. Remote work, Airbnb, I know is, you know, aiming at a shift at longer stays, things like 28, you know, a month long, basically. Mm -hmm. But even, you know, again, going back to that, you know, I'm planning on vacation. What are my options? You know, a lot of these Airbnbs and, and houses, places, these isolated places that have easy access to water, mountain ranges, parks, they had really good years this past year. And that trend is going to continue. So the resorts we were talking about, that's sort of the new trend. But the one that's like continuing over from last year is this idea of road trips and then vacation rentals. So um, there's an estimate that there's going to be more road trips this year than there were in 2019, you know, which is what you'd expect in normal years for it to get more and more. And then the vacation rental industry, you know, things like Airbnb are also expected to do really well again because people like having, you know, their own house and where they could kind of stay separate from other people. And as you mentioned, this whole work from home trend where people are allowed to work from pretty much anywhere, they're saying, hey, why don't I go rent a place for a few weeks or a month? Because I could be anywhere. Why do I have to be in my apartment in Brooklyn? You know, I could be next to a national park. And similar to the resort thing with these uh, vacation rentals, the ones that are doing best are the ones where they're located next to something nice and outdoors, either a national park or a lake or, you know, something where people could get outside and and do the relatively safe thing. Ronnie Mola, senior data reporter at Vox's Recode. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. If you, you know, plug in your old Super Nintendo to your 4K HDR flat screen, the TV doesn't know what to do with it. It sends out an analog signal in what's called 240p, which is like a low-res video signal. The TV thinks it's 480i or 480p. It doesn't know what to do with it. It tries to scale it up, and it looks really messy and muddy. Joining us now is Aiden Moher, game journalist and contributor to Wired. Thanks for joining us, Aiden. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I wanted to talk about uh, some gaming right now, more specifically retro gaming and uh, one of the, I guess, hottest pieces that uh, retro gamers are, are looking for right now are actually old CRT TVs. So these old cathode ray tube TVs, you know, to complete that retro gaming look. But also a lot of times these retro games were made for these types of TVs. So it looks better than it would on, you know, what we're using now, big LCD flat screens. So Aiden, tell us a little bit about uh, kind of this renaissance of retro gaming and how a lot of people are looking for these old TVs right now. Sure, yeah. I'm in my late 30s, and so I grew up gaming on tube TVs, right? I had a Super Nintendo, I had a Nintendo 64 and a PlayStation, and that's what I had, a, a tube TV. I actually used a, a Commodore 64 monitor as my main gaming machine as a, as a kid growing up. And um, these systems and the games were designed with you know pixel-based graphics and analog video signals that were meant to be fed into uh, TVs that you know, had lower resolution, lower fidelity, but also really interesting technology behind them, the cathode ray tube, that um, really produced a super unique, interesting video signal and look. And while I would say that, you know, you go back and you watch uh, old VHS tapes, they don't hold up very well because the technology behind them was, you know, not not there yet. Like video technology for film and television has come so far and so has gaming, but you can't go back as effectively or as easily and like remaster a Super Nintendo game for a modern console without a lot of effort. And of course it happens. But if you 
you know, plug in your old Super Nintendo to your 4K HDR flat screen, the TV doesn't know what to do with it. It sends out an analog signal in what's called 240p, which is like a low-res video signal. The TV thinks it's 480i or 480p. It doesn't know what to do with it. It tries to scale it up, and it looks really messy and muddy. So there are ways you can do this. You can bake it into the software so that it up-reses the old graphics in software, spits it out as a 1080p uh, video signal, or you can get a, an expensive scaler that you would plug into your TV that'll do that job. But that's still outputting you know, an analog video signal onto a digital screen through a digital pipeline in a way that was never envisioned at the time. You're right you know, about these TVs. You know, it, it would flatten out some of those... Uh some of those images kind of hide some of those imperfections and those old pixels, you know, just really looked really good in crisps sometimes back in the day. And, and I've noticed kind of this rise of retro gaming, you know, you go on TikTok or Instagram and you see uh, even YouTube channels dedicated to people just playing old video games and people following along just kind of for that nostalgia factor. So, you know, what do people do if they want to get into this and kind of get an old TV, where should they be looking? Cause they're not making these TVs anymore. I think uh, in the article you noted, somebody said that the secondhand supply of these TVs might stick around for maybe about a decade at most. Yeah, so they stopped making them in around 2007 or so. Uh, the production pipeline for them is very complex, and they also use a lot of like kind of nasty things inside of them. There's a lot of lead inside of these TVs, so like they're not, you know, they're not easy to produce. So I don't expect anybody, you know, to see this rise in, uh, you know, retro gaming and a desire for CRTs and suddenly start producing them again. But the fact of the matter is, is there are a lot of them still out there. And they're, most of them, especially sort of the older ones, were built like bricks. And like, you know, the same way a, a regular original Nintendo Game Boy still works, yeah. even though it was dropped 700 times, you know, like every year by five-year-olds. A lot of these old retro uh, CRTs, are similar. They need a bit of, you know, a bit of love. You can yeah. take them in and get them what's called recapped, where you change all the capacitors inside. Those are the things that don't age very well. But you do that, and all of a sudden the TV looks maybe better than it was, you know, did when it was purchased. You know, if you put better capacitors in there. Uh, but that's like the high end, right? We're not to a point yet where you can't go onto Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and find free TV or TVs for 10 bucks or 20 bucks, you know, people giving them away for free as long as you'll come pick them up. The place that I would suggest people start is just looking online or, you know, if you have like a recycling drive for like a weekend where people do a lot of like, you know, you put all your stuff out on the curb for a weekend, <laughs> drive around your town, you might find uh, some pretty great old CRTs sitting on the side of the road and they still work. The, the best CRT you can have is, is the one that you can find. Like right. they all, like one, they're so unique they all, any type of model, or even like the same model, but different version, like different TV side by side, just have their own charm and their own feel. Like analog video is just such a unique format that like, there's no bad TV. As long as it's not, you know, like beyond repair in terms of how it's playing video, like they all offer something different. Aiden Moher, game journalist and contributor to Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. Always happy to talk about this. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. 
This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.